Well, good morning. It sure is good to see everybody this morning. Kind of a cool morning for the start, but we're glad to be here, glad to be able to study the divided kingdom, uh, continuing in that this morning, and looking forward to our gospel meeting that begins today with Jonathan Reeder. He'll be speaking to us in the worship hour and then again this afternoon at three. But we're happy uh, to get back into our study of the divided kingdom and uh, just really getting into it as we look at its place in the 17 periods of Bible history. I know most of us are familiar with that, but it's great to remember the flow of Bible history anytime that you're in uh, the Scriptures, to realize where you are at what point in time. It really helps, understand, helps you understand uh, what's going on. Uh, today we'll be looking at uh, Nadab and Basha, which are the second and third kings in Israel, and also looking at Asa, who is the third king of Judah. Uh, our text will be in 1 Kings 15 and 2 Chronicles 14 through 16. So these kings, um, starting in the southern kingdom of Judah, were Rehoboam. He reigned uh, for 17 years, was not a good king, was a bad king. Abijah followed him for three years and was also a bad king. But then we come to Asa that we'll be looking at in some detail today. Reigned for 41 years and was a very good king. Uh, Israel, Jeroboam, we studied already and looked at his demise uh, in the last class period, uh, was a bad king, reigned in Israel for, 17, for 22 years, and then Nadab, his son, we'll look at today, reigned for uh, just a couple of years and was uh, taken out by Basha. And so these are the kings we'll be looking at today in our study. So I invite you to turn to begin with to 1 Kings chapter 15, and we'll be looking at Nadab and Basha uh, becoming kings in Israel. So following Jeroboam's death, his son Nadab becomes king in Asa's second year. Asa is the king of the southern kingdom. We read in uh, 1 Kings 15, starting in verse 25, that Nadab the son of Jeroboam became king over Israel in the second year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned over Israel two years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father, and the sin by which he had made Israel sin. So he continues in the sins of Jeroboam. And all of that wickedness, the idolatry, uh, the removal of any really remnants even of the true religion of Israel, uh, kicking people out, not allowing the priests to do their duty, sending uh, folks to the south, and then some just leaving to go to the southern kingdom. Uh, what happens uh, straight away then is that Basha, who's uh, from the tribe of Issachar, conspires against Nadab and, and kills him while, while Nadab and his forces are laying siege against Gibbethon, which is a city of the Philistines. We'll look at that on the map in just a little bit. But uh, Basha becomes king in Israel in Asa's third year in Judah. We pick up the reading in verse 27. Basha, the son of Ahijah, of the house of Issachar, conspired against him, and Basha killed him at Gibbethon, which belonged to the Philistines, while Nadab and all Israel laid siege to Gibbethon. Vasha killed him in the third year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. So a quick turnaround uh, in the reigning and the rule of the kingdom of Israel to the north. And it was so, when Basha became king, that he killed all the house of Jeroboam. He did not leave to Jeroboam anyone that breathed, until he had destroyed him, according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken by his servant uh, Ahijah the Shilonite. So we had seen, in fact, that this was prophesied in our last lesson. Ahijah said this is exactly what's going to happen. 
that is what happened. Jeroboam would not be left with anybody to reign uh, in his uh, dynasty, in his lineage. So the house of Jeroboam is completely taken out of the way uh, because of Jeroboam's disobedience. Remember, God would have set him up in the kingdom perpetually and his lineage perpetually had he only obeyed the Lord. But he refused to do so, uh, rather choosing to start a false religion, uh, drive people away from the Lord, set up idolatry, and all of that. Uh, so, and all of this fulfills Ahijah's prophecy. We note, we'll note continually as we go through uh, the divided kingdom, when, and as we did in the last class period, when God says something through a prophet, that's going to come to pass. Whatever the word of the Lord is, we made this point specifically at the end of the last lesson. Whatever God says will happen, will happen. It is unchangeable. Uh, but Basha is not going to stop the wickedness in Israel. He, he uh, is much more concerned with maintaining power, uh, as so many politicians are, than with reforming the nation. So you pick up the reading again in verses uh, 20, 33 and 34. And it says, In the third year of Asa, king of Judah, Basha, the son of Ahijah, became king over all Israel in Terza. And we talked a little bit about Terza in the last class period. So now, the capital has moved from Shechem to Terza, about seven miles away, still in the central uh, area of Israel. Uh, he's reigning in Terza, Terza and reigns there for 24 years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of Jeroboam and in his sin by which he made Israel sin. So the sins of Jeroboam continue on through the reign of Basha. So now we're going to look a little bit. Here's what's going on in the northern kingdom, the change from Jeroboam to Nadab and then quickly to the reign of Basha. And that reign will continue for uh, over two decades, as we've noted. We're going to go back then and look at what's going on in the southern kingdom. I think some really interesting things will happen there uh, as it experiences a period of relative peace, certainly a period of uh, righteousness that it had been lacking for some time now. Uh, the good kings of the southern kingdom are a rarity, and so to be able to look at Asa and the good things that he did is a, is a pleasure for us to see. Well, we're looking at Second uh, Chronicles now, 14, and uh, pick up the reading in verse 9. We've already talked earlier about <clears throat> Asa, and uh, I said 13. Yeah, let's go back and look at some things that we have already talked about. Um, pick, up, pick up back in verse 2 at the beginning of Asa's reign. We've already mentioned some of this. But Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. He removed the altars of the foreign gods and the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images. So he, he reforms, his reforms destroy the idols, uh, tear down these high places, high places all over the place where that would be a, a fitting place in the eyes of idolaters to erect an idol or a shrine to pray to their gods. So tear, tears down all of those uh, that had been set up by his father and his grandfather. You see that here in verse 3, again in verse 5. He's removing the high places and uh, the incense altars in the cities of Judah. Now, we mentioned last class period, apparently he may have left some in the countryside, especially up in Israel, where he has a little bit of control right now, but he, he's removing them in the cities of Judah. Uh, he, he sought the Lord 
and he commanded his people to keep the commandments. In fact, he was really diligent about that. Um, in verse 4, he commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandments. So he's insistent that they go back to the law and keep it uh, carefully to honor the God of heaven. Uh, he fortifies uh, a number of cities in Judah, enlarges his military, uh, 300,000 uh, soldiers in Judah, 280,000 in Benjamin, according to chapter 14 and verse 8. And then the land, it says, has rest during these years because, according to verses 5 and 6, the Lord had given him rest. You go back up in the chapter to chapter 14 and verse 1, and it mentions this 10-year period of quiet in the land, of peace that was enjoyed. And apparently what's mentioned there in verse 14 is reflecting back on that statement that had already been made. So they enjoy a good 10 years of peace in the southern kingdom. Things are set aright. Things are looking good in the southern kingdom. And just then, Zerah comes up from Ethiopia, king of Ethiopia, and invades Judah at Mereshah. So we pick up the reading now in chapter 14 and verse 9. Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million, a million against them. He comes with a million men and 300 chariots, and he came to Mereshah. Uh, the, the word there in Hebrew is a thousand thousand, and uh, it's typically not necessarily used to you know, count to a million, but just to refer to an innumerable host. So uh, the idiom in Hebrew is not necessarily to be taken literal, but literally it would be a, a million. Just so many they couldn't count them would be the idea. And with the size of some of the armies of that day, a million wouldn't necessarily be out of question. So it's not necessarily a, a literal number, though. Um, and, and 300 chariots, which is not a large number of chariots for, for uh, armies of that day, but still an impressive force, certainly of foot soldiers. Um, Asa, to his credit now, and I, I think we're going to look at something here that just will teach us a great lesson, and frankly a lesson that we need right here at Eastside. Um, that we need, maybe even especially now, and that is to rely on the Lord in difficult times and to allow Him to fight the battles for us. Don't think we have to fight them ourselves. Um, and and it, it's a great lesson. We're going to focus on it quite a bit this morning. So look at verses 10 and 11 as we slow down here now and really get to some helpful things. Asa went out against him. And they set the troops in battle array in the valley of Zarephath, sorry, Zephatha, uh, near Mereshah. And, and Asa cried to the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we rest on you, and in your name we go against this multitude, O Lord. You are our God. Do not let them prevail against you. Just uh, such great statements of faith, complete reliance on the Lord. It wasn't that Asa wasn't going to do anything. They were going out to fight the battle. But they knew uh, on their own they, they probably wouldn't win this battle. God could win it. 
If God was with them, they would win. And, and that's the way we need to do with, with every uh, conflict in our lives as we're standing for the Lord against whatever forces of evil there are, whatever we're facing in this world. We might not be able to win on our own, but God can give us the victory. And, and this reliance that we see upon God here in, uh, by Asa is just so commendable. It's nothing for you to help. You know, you can, you can do anything uh, that you, you want to do, Lord. Uh, we rest on you. We're trusting in you. And we don't want man to be perceived to prevail against you. God, uh, don't let yourself be viewed as, you know, the loser in the conflict. So many times over the centuries, uh, people have presumed to think that good lost a battle. But ultimately, good will not lose the battle. It may look that, like that for a time, but, but God will win. God will always win. And His way will prevail, uh, if not in this life, certainly at the end of time, for sure, when all of the valleys and hills would be leveled and justice will, justice will roll. So we trust in all of that, and Asa trusted in that as well. So God hears Asa's cry, and impressively in uh, 2 Chronicles 14 and verse 12, the Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. So here you have this innumerable army uh, with all of these chariots, and they turn tail and run. And uh, Asa and the people pursued them to Gerar. So the Ethiopians were overthrown. They could not recover. Uh, they were broken before the Lord and his army, and they carried away much spoil. So uh, from the Ethiopians, you know, the uh, men of Judah enjoy uh, getting a lot of their equipment, uh, things that are left. They defeated all the cities around Gerar as well, for the fear of the Lord came upon them, and they plundered all the cities as well. So here they're getting much spoil and wealth as a result of this great victory that really they hadn't started the conflict, but they're taking advantage of all of that. And there was, it says, exceedingly much spoil in them. So they uh, attacked the livestock and in enclosures and carried off sheep and camels in abundance and returned to Jerusalem. So this wound up what looked like being uh, maybe a, a horrible uh, loss to, to Judah at the beginning when Ethiopia comes, comes against them. Now they not only rout the Ethiopians, but also uh, take in uh, some of the territory to the south, people that had not been under subjection to uh, Asa in the southern kingdom to this point now, are subjugated by him. And to look at this on the map, uh, you can see where we are. Uh, Jerusalem, uh, there indicated. Uh, here is Marishah, where uh, the Ethiopians had come up to. Asa has come out to meet them to the southern part of Judah. This Gerar is in the, uh, n- the northern edge of what is we know as the Negev, the south. This, and, and so, just again, on the edge of the territory of Judah. And, and this would be a, a part of the land that certainly Asa would have the right to control uh, and, and have power over. So he, he not only chases the Ethiopians down this way, takes plunder from them, but then takes Gerar. Gerar is an ancient city. It's mentioned uh, as having been visited by Abraham. You might remember way back in Genesis 20, uh, this would have been um, 2000 ish BC, and we're at 800-ish B.C. now, so 1,200 years before. Um, that's where Abraham went, and it's one of the places where he didn't tell the truth about his relationship 
with Sarah to hide that from the king Abimelech there at the time. Also you find in uh, Genesis 26 that Isaac visited there. And now the place is coming into uh, the Bible story again here in 2 Chronicles 14. This is the final mention of Gerar in Scripture, but it is an interesting mention in that it's part of this story of Asa's faith and uh, God's granting them this victory, which, among other things, you realize is going to really help solidify the kingdom of Asa and enable him to have the strength that he does, be at peace for his long reign, and do the good that he does. So all God's blessing uh, the people of Judah here by the, uh, allowing them to have this great victory. Let me stop here and just ask if there are uh, thoughts or comments, questions or additions anybody's thinking right now you'd like to throw in. Okay, well, I must be doing a lot better job than I think I'm doing. Uh, let's move forward and look at this next section where... In 2 Chronicles 15, you have the prophet Azariah sent to Asa, and the message is one really of admonishment and encouragement. Uh, there's some warning in it, but there's also a lot of go, go, go kind of stuff, cheerleading uh, from the prophet. Uh, Azariah the prophet sent to a good king to help encourage him to keep on keeping on. So following this great victory, that's what God does. We pick up the reading in Second Chronicles 15. The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded. And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by, by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. The Lord is with you if you are with him. That's God still today. If you are with God, he is with you. He will, as David said in Psalm 73, hold you by your right hand. He'll be with you all the way if you'll be with him. What, what a wonderful statement of faith. I think Asa understood that. Uh, Azariah says those who seek God will find him. Jesus promised that, right? Later on, uh, 800 years, 900 years later, Jesus says those who seek will find and we believe that to be the case. In fact, it's a, a bit of an echo of the very reason that God put us on this planet. Uh, as Paul talks about that to the uh, people of Athens, Greece, in Acts 17 and verse 27, you might remember that he says that he's, he's put us here so that we should seek the Lord in the hope that we might grope for Him and find Him. That's what life is about. Seeking God, finding a relationship with Him, uh, and entering into that fellowship with God. So, if you seek, you'll find. If you forsake Him, He'll forsake you. Once you find Him, once you realize who He is and what He wants of you and the relationship He wants to have with you, He's not going to force you to, to stay in that relationship. Turn your back on Him, then you've turned your back on Him. Then you're back to back. Uh, and that's where a lot of people find themselves. Let's pick up the reading then. Uh, in verse 3. <clears throat> Azariah is going to give a bit of a history lesson, a spiritual history lesson here for us and for Asa. He says, For a long time Israel has been without the true God, without a teaching priest, and without law. So they had 
both kingdoms really had, had gone away from the Lord, especially the northern one. But here he's talking to the king of the southern kingdom. And it, it had been a while since they'd been doing right by God, serving him as they should. They'd fallen off into idolatry and other problems. And he, and he says, when, their trouble, when in their trouble they turned to the Lord of Israel and sought him, he was found by them. So if you turn back to God, you can find him. And in those times there was no peace to one who went out or to the one who came in, but great turmoil was on all the inhabitants of the lands. So nation was destroyed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with every adversity. But you be strong and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. So it had been the case now for some decades at least uh, that people had not been following the way of the Lord, going back to the time of Solomon, and probably referring to time before uh, Solomon as well. Uh, Asa is told, though, that if you will be strong, don't let your hands be weak, you will be rewarded. One of the things that, uh, that we need to remember, and it's not popular to talk about in, you know, I think, the religious world today, it's not the viewpoint that a lot of people have about serving God. Uh, and yet, it's, it ought to be part of the viewpoint. Let me maybe put it that way. We want to uh, downplay in the religious world today, there's a spirit that we want to downplay the necessity of us to work to be rewarded. In fact, that very phrase, to work to be rewarded, would be uh, objected to by many people in the religious world today. I understand we're saved by grace. I understand we don't earn our salvation. But the concept of working to be rewarded, Jesus says repeatedly that we must work for our reward. Jesus says that in the New Testament. And here and throughout the Old Testament, it's a concept that is uh, you know, threaded throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, John uh, writes, you know, in uh, Third John, don't work, don't lose those things that you've worked for, but receive a full reward. So that's, again, New Testament teaching. Here you see that echoed in what Azariah tells Asa. You keep on keeping on, and the Lord will reward you. You just do what you're supposed to be doing, and there will be a reward for that. Um, Yes. Yeah, I, I think that I, I kind of went over that a little bit, but it's, I'm glad you're bringing that up in this context, Andrew, because that's exactly that's the example of what's going on here. Ace is doing everything he can do. It's not like he's just saying, well, I'm going to sit back and God's going to do it all. That's not it. He, he's trusting God all the way to help him and knows he needs God's help. But he is, on the other hand, efforting with all that he's got to do God's will, to win these battles, all of that. Doug? You, 
Yeah. So, so Jesus said, you know, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. It's important to do God's will. It absolutely is. And uh, I, I think that is, that's a part of the gospel that is really missed in uh, a lot that we're hearing today in the world. All right, let's go forward in uh, this text a little bit. Uh, Asa is really moved by Azariah's encouraging words. Um, and he hears this prophecy, and he took even more action. He, he, in verse 8, he took courage. He removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities which he had taken in the mountains of Ephraim, and he restored the altar of the Lord that was before the vestibule of the Lord. That's in the temple. So that altar had apparently had been harmed. Uh, this would be the, alt, the, uh, the altar of burnt offering, the main altar there. So he restored that as well, so the offerings could be done. And I, I, I think it's interesting that uh, whatever inroads he'd made into the northern kingdom, talking about Ephraim, that's, to, that's the kingdom to the north, that would be um, now being controlled by Basha. But he, whatever inroads he'd made there, he tears down the idols in that area as well. So he gathers Judah and Benjamin uh, and dwelt with them and those from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon. Those of the, you know this geography. He's, he's pulling people from the northern kingdom who want to serve the Lord. And they come in great numbers from Israel when they saw with the Lord that God was with them. So when everybody sees that, that God is on Asa's side and that Asa is on God's side and he's restoring uh, the true religion of God to the southern kingdom. Then people are being pulled out of the northern kingdom who want to serve God truly and not worship the golden calves at Dan and Bethel. Here are people who are dedicated to serving God properly. Uh, he even uh, demotes his grandmother, Maka, this is the queen mother, from being queen mother because of her idolatry. She made an image to the Asherah, to the Canaanite god, and uh, no, that's not going to happen. You're not going to sit, sit as queen mother anymore. And so he's taking a strong stance for the true God of Israel and the God who is. Um, he leads an assembly uh, in, in Jerusalem of, of people, uh, again, from both Judah and Israel, as they, they renew the covenant. It's, it's a really a beautiful thing uh, as they come back and commit to serving the Lord in the way that He deserves to be served. Verse 10, they gathered together at Jerusalem in the third month in the 15th year of the reign of Asa, and they offered to the Lord at that time 700 bulls, 7,000 sheep, and the spoil that they, so all of the spoil, of the, this excess that they had, and, and even more, they're offering to the Lord. Now those numbers aren't as large as the, certainly the numbers that Solomon offered when he dedicated the temple. Uh, you know, not all that long before this, but they do indicate this great spirit of revival and uh, willingness to sacrifice for the Lord and honor and glorify Him. And they entered into a covenant then in verse 12 to seek the Lord of their fathers with all their heart, with all their soul. And, please notice this, and this I know seems strange to us today, but whoever would not seek the Lord of Israel was to be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. That's, uh, that's some zeal right there. That's some zeal right there. Now you've got to remember that all of these were to be covenant people. And there were many uh, 
situations that God had laid out in the law, in the covenant that they had all agreed on to begin with, that if you turned away from the law, that your, your sentence was death. So this, to, to look at this from our standpoint and say, well, putting people to death for not wanting to you know, abide by this religion, but it was a different thing. All these people were supposed to be covenanted people in this religion. And if they wouldn't commit to it, in most cases, by their own agreeing to the covenant to begin with, they sign their own death sentence. Uh, so it's not, um, you know, again, it's not the way we would think about it today. In any case, um, verse uh, 14, And they took an oath before the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting, with trumpets, with ram's horns. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with all their soul, and he was found by them. And the Lord gave them rest all around. Just as Azariah had said. They sought him. They, were, he, they sought him and he was found by them. Uh, and so Asa was loyal to the Lord. And there was no more war until the 35th year. And there may be a scribal copy error in relation to that. But there was no war in any case for some long time probably to uh, about 14 years after this, uh, before, uh, again, there was a bit of a problem. And the problem occurred when Basha now to the north, he's got, we've got Basha to the north, we've got Asa to the south, these are both strong kings of both of these kingdoms, but Basha's not going to be all that strong. He, he fortifies Ramah uh, between Israel and Judah. So here's Jerusalem, here's Ramah, which is really... Uh, maybe a border town, but uh, technically probably in the area of Judah in the southern kingdom. So Basha has made some inroads down here, and he's going to Ramah uh, and, and building fortifications there as a bit of an outpost. And the reason that he's doing it, according to the text, is to keep his people from going south, as they just had. A bunch of them had migrated to the southern kingdom. He doesn't want that. So it's not, it's not uh, a fortress to keep uh, Judah out of Israel. It's a fortress to keep Israel from... It's like the Berlin Wall. Y'all remember the Berlin Wall, right? It wasn't, it wasn't meant to keep Westerners out of uh, Eastern Europe. It was meant to keep Eastern Euro Europeans from getting to come to the West. And so this is the kind of place that was. He was fortifying it for that purpose. Um, and it was only four to five miles uh, from Jerusalem. Micah sent out an email this last week. He'd done a little research on this. So from here to Bucky's, is 4.6 miles, okay? So if we were having a foreign nation, you know, build a, a fortress four and a half miles away from us, saying, well, you can't come into Athens, uh, we would take note of that. That would be a problem. Uh, so it's very close. Uh, Ramah is very close to, to Jerusalem. And uh, we understand then why, why this would get Ace's attention to the south. He doesn't, he doesn't want that there. Um, and, and certainly he's going to try to do something about it. But what he's going to do about it is now a little bit disappointing to us. Um, to counter Basha, Asa seeks a covenant with Ben-Hadad of Syria. Now Syria, as most of us know, this Bible geography is up in here. Syria is still up in here as far as that goes. The capital of Damascus, it was uh, back in this time known as the Aramean, the uh, kingdom of Aram, but sometimes called Syria as well. Uh, Ben-Hadad's a well-known king. I think he seems to be known outside the Bible as well 
the possible inscription that was found in that area that dates to this time period that seems to refer to him. But in any case, um, here he is, a uh, pretty powerful king up to the north of Israel, so to the, on the northern border of the northern kingdom. And uh, what Asa does, <clears throat> uh, Asa brought out silver and gold, verse 2 of chapter 16 of Second Chronicles. He brings out silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus, saying, let there be a treaty between you and me as there was between my father and your father. See, I've sent you silver and gold. Come break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad heeded king Asa and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. That is, he's now attacking the northern cities of Ijon, Dan, which was to the far north, Abel-Mam, and, and the stored cities of Naphtali. So these would be places where there would be uh, you know, spoil to be gotten uh, by Ben-Hadad. There would be a reason for him to attack those. And happened when Basher heard it that he stopped building Ramah and ceased his work. So when he realized, Basher did, that, um, that Ben-Hadad is attacking him, uh, Basher withdraws his forces from Ramah. Uh, Asa then takes some of the stones and timber that Basha had been using to fortify Ramah and very wisely uh, builds a couple of cities, refortifies a couple of cities in, around Judah, including Geba and Mizpah. So that, that brings us to this episode, to the end of this episode. Uh, and just a couple of reflections about it. You know, Asa's response here is disappointing. Uh, why do I say that? What did you do differently here than he'd done when the Ethiopians attacked? He didn't appear to go to God with it or trust God to help him with it. Uh, he, uh, you know, when the Ethiopians came, he seeks God's divine help and protection. When Basha now threatens, uh, which is not nearly as big a threat, really, uh, he is willing to take spoils from the t- take rather uh, riches from the temple and uh, his own and other things and give them as a bit of a bribe to Ben Hadad to come and help him out. And this covenant was not approved by God. He gets that help. Uh, but in this crisis, Asa showed that he trusted man more than he trusted God. And, and it's not a, along the lines of what he prayed earlier. Uh, I don't think this is mentioned in the text as being a particularly disappointing thing on the part of God. But it was, when you think about it, not the same kind of uh, faithful behavior that he had exhibited years earlier in, his, in the early part of this reign. So, just a couple of lessons for today before we close it down. Uh, and we've mentioned both of these already, but God's help the, God helps those who trust in Him. And uh, He will not abandon them, no matter how dark the days may become. It's certainly seen in Asa's battle with the Ethiopians. We face situations in life all of the time that can be extremely difficult when we think we're just up against insurmountable odds, when darkness is overwhelming us, uh, temptation and trial, hardship and pain, sickness, even death, loss, financial loss, all sorts of things. 
God will see us through. It may be difficult. The way may be hard. But he will hold our hand through it. In the Psalms, uh, David would write things like, My God, I trust in you. Let not my enemies triumph over me. He would write in Psalm 44, I will not trust in my bow or in my sword to save me, but you have saved us from our enemies. And then also we see encouragement that Azariah gives to Asa and Asa follows up on. Just not to grow weary in well-doing. Don't give up doing good. Just keep on serving the Lord. And it may not seem like, well, I'm getting anything out of this at times. It may not seem like this is getting me anywhere. But serve the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. <coughs> and in due season, we'll reap. <coughs> Excuse me. Hmm? a coughing fit, so I need to quit. Thank you, and we'll pick up there Wednesday night.